Welcome to the Stolen Reality Podcast. This is where you belong. All right, everybody, welcome to the Stolen Reality Podcast. It is Wednesday and it's time for another episode. I'm your host, Luke, and like always, we're going to be getting into a pretty fun subject today. This one turned out to be a lot bigger than I thought it would be. I could make this into probably a multi-part series or, uh, you know, a 20-hour-long episode, which I'm going to cut back as much as possible, try not to do an extremely long episode like I did on the Bigfoot subject. But the more I looked into this, the more it grew, the more connections I made, and uh, it, it became really fun. So I hope you guys are going to enjoy this one. You know, you come to me for your paranormal needs for a reason. I may be a little crazy, but one thing I am good at is making connections. Maybe it's a little bit of uh, ADD, maybe a little bit of schizophrenia or something that's going on with me. But uh, the one thing you're going to find on this show is, is connections you're not going to find anywhere else. So the subject we're going to dump into today has had a lot of coverage in a lot of different places. I just got done watching another like two hour documentary on it and there's hundreds of them out there and there's tons and tons of websites and reports on it. But you're not gonna find the connections I make anywhere else but here. So spread the word, tell your friends, get the listener base up. And if you're enjoying the show, please go on and give me that five star rating on whatever platform you're on. Um, if you want to reach out to me for whatever reason, like always, you can get a hold of me on stolenreality.com underneath the contacts page, or you can just reach out to me at luke at stolenreality.com. So with all that being said, let's get into it today. Today we're going to be talking about the legend of Mothman. So like I said, Mothman's been covered for decades in all sorts of things, and if you're into the paranormal or things outside of the norm at all, you've heard about Mothman. Last Friday, I did a bit-isode on Indrid Cold, which is going to play into all this because it happened at the same time, and it was kind of a side-by-side case with what's going on with everything today. But today, I'm going to jump into more of the Mothman side of things and what Mothman might be, where it came from, historical sightings, and what could really be going on here. So some of the things you're going to hear today, if you are familiar with the subject at all, is probably going to be repetitive of things that you've heard because there's the very commonplace accounts and stories that get talked about all the time. But I'm going to hopefully throw some new ones in here that you haven't heard. And then also throw in some other things that probably connect to this whole situation that's going on that maybe maybe you haven't heard before. So again, that's, you know, giving me the title of the world's greatest paranormal detective, the Batman of the paranormal world, making connections where other people aren't. So, let's get into it today. On November 12th, 1966, in Clendenine, West Virginia, might be Clendenin, again, I'll never claim to pronounce things correctly on this show, a group of five gravediggers were working in a cemetery, and they look up, and in the trees, they see this big, brown, humanoid figure jumping from tree to tree. They said that it looked like maybe it had fur on it, and its face kind of resembled a human, but other than that, not a whole lot of human features going on with it. They said that this creature had large glowing red eyes, and it obviously just scared the crap out of them. And that was the first official modern day sighting of the Mothman. Not a whole lot of information other than the fact that these guys all saw this one thing up in this tree, and it definitely wasn't just a normal human jumping from treetop to treetop. And then, only three days later, we got the world's most well-known sighting of Mothman, and the one that has really got into the lore of everything. So on November 15th, 1966, two couples went down to the TNT area in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. And the TNT area was an old munitions 
factory area where they had all these buildings that made explosives for World War II. Well, after World War II, they shut all this down, but they left a lot of stuff behind there. And because of that, there's a lot of contamination and environmental things that are going on, and it kind of just ruined that spot. So it's kind of closed off. People aren't necessarily supposed to go down there. But what do young couples like to do? They like to sneak off and do some necking, as my grandma used to call it. So two couples went down there to probably do a little making out and whatnot and driving down this spooky old road. And in front of their car, they saw this giant white-winged creature that was six or seven feet tall standing in front of their car with these glowing red eyes. They said that this thing hated the headlights from their car, hated the light from it, and covered its face, and was scared of it, and it spooked them, and of course they spooked it as well when they drove up and turned their headlights onto it, and it jumped up off the ground and started flying. Well, they whipped their car around and started getting the hell out of there, and this thing chased them at close to up to 100 miles an hour, they said it could fly, and it would chase them down the road, and as it got closer, it got down onto the ground and then climbed clumsily stumbled across the ground and then ran off into a field. They said that it chased them all the way to the outskirts of town, so it chased them for quite a while. And they claimed that it was really agile in the air, obviously, if it was flying at those speeds, but it was didn't walk too well, so it obviously was made more for the air than for flying across the ground, which sounds a lot like a bat. I find it kind of funny that this thing is, you know, called the Mothman and associated with being a giant moth, essentially, with glowing red eyes, but it hated the headlight, because what do moths love? Moths love going towards the light, so I think that's kind of funny that we see that time and time again in these stories, but anyway... They went back and started telling their story, and these two witnesses, these two males, Roger Scarberry and Steve Mallett, came back and reported it to the Point Pleasant Register. And one of the things that they said is, you know, I know that this sounds crazy, but I know that I saw this thing. I know that I didn't imagine it. It wasn't just my imagination. And if it was just me out there who saw this, I wouldn't be talking about it at all. But there was four of us and every one of us witnessed it. And they all corroborated the exact same stories and they all said that this thing happened. Now, we could just say that these kids were just out there and got bored and decided to make some things up. But what happens next starts to add a little bit of credibility to what they may have seen. Over the next 13 months, hundreds of sightings from that same area came in of this Mothman, including eight sightings in the Gettysburg time in just a three-day period that had firefighters in it, and there was police officers that reported this, and very reputable people talking about a very large bird with red eyes, or a humanoid figure with a wingspan, and all these reports started popping up in this area. Now, like I said, there is hundreds of reports, like hundreds of documented reports of this. And a lot of people wanted to stay anonymous because they didn't want to, you know, be associated with crazy things. But a lot of people also stated their name and still to this day talk about these stories. I was just watching a documentary, like I said, called The Mothman Legacy, where a lot of these witnesses are still talking about these things. I'm going to play a clip from a couple of them coming forward here. But I could spend an entire hour or two or probably a lot more than that just reading off people's accounts. But I'm just going to give you a couple of them here just so you can kind of get an idea of what was happening in that area. One man, Newell Partridge, 
who was a Salem, West Virginia resident, said that he was watching TV and all of a sudden he started seeing these strange patterns all over his TV. Like he was kind of messing up. Now back then, he obviously wasn't watching cable. He was uh, using antennas. So something came down and interfered with those. So he heard a noise outside when this was happening. So he went out and he took his flashlight and he shined his flashlight out there and he saw these giant glowing red eyes that he said were like six inches apart and these big disc red eyes staring back at him. So of course, scares the hell out of him. He goes back inside. Well, not too crazy of a story other than the red eyes and the TV interference, except for the fact that the next day his dog was missing. So it started kind of getting into the the public attention over there that maybe this thing came down and, and stole this guy's dog for whatever reason. There was also multiple, multiple reports of people hearing things land and then walk across the top of their roof. There's even one report of a lady who was walking through the woods um, towards her house and this thing came down and swooped at her while she was holding her child and fell down and actually on top of her child and injured her kid a little bit. Luckily, it didn't kill him or anything, but hurt her kid. And she was so scared, you know, that's <laughs> being scared enough to override the motherly instinct not to fall on your kids. Pretty scary. But uh, not long after that, she was up in a building and she heard this noise outside. And I think she was on like the second story of this building. And she looks outside and she said she saw this thing out in the cold with these glowing red eyes. And it had its wings wrapped around it like it was freezing outside and like shivering. So you just get these plethora of all these different sightings and and things happening and people telling these same stories and i'm going to play you a clip real quick of a lady talking about hearing these footprints on top of her house when she was younger this comes from the documentary the mothman legacies the mothman frenzy went from 1966 into 1967 but the activity continued we lived close to the Scar scarberries i grew up uh, on a hillside in West Union called Shannon's Knob. And late at night, it would, it would sound like someone had jumped out of a helicopter. The roof would go boom, just like that. There would be a pause, and then these footsteps, somebody was walking on our roof, and they might be up there 10, 15 minutes, and the footsteps would stop as if something had flown away. And of course, my parents did not believe me. You know, when I, when I kept telling them about these footsteps until I woke up early one morning and I, I heard them talking to each other saying, wonder what those footsteps are on the roof. So that's one resident's account of this happening and hearing these footsteps on their roof. But again, like I said, there was hundreds, hundreds of accounts and people talking about these things all at once. And these accounts came from firemen, from police chiefs, from large groups of people that all saw it at one time, um, very reputable people in the community. So this isn't just some isolated incident of some crazy lady or some kids down making out at the TNT plant making something up. Like I said, I could just do an entire episode or entire series of just reading people's accounts and telling you about people's um, sightings of these things and their happenings with them, but they're all pretty similar, which is what makes them, you know, in my mind, a little more credible. People were seeing this same thing all over the place, and they would describe it as this giant bird-like or moth-like creature that was humanoid with these glowing red eyes, and it would just kind of show up out of nowhere, scare the hell out of them, and then take off. I didn't find any other accounts of it um, attacking anybody or like interacting with them physically except for that dog going missing until we get into some some other stuff down the road with some connections I made maybe down in Mexico and Texas and things like that because this is not just an isolated incident it turns out but 
at this time from November 1966 through December 1967. That 13-month period was the biggest rash of, of sightings that everybody talks about and the kind of origin of the Mothman lore here in America. Well, over that 13-month period, you know, sightings kept ramping up and people kept seeing these things more and more often, and it all culminated on December 15th, 1967, with the Silver Bridge Collapse. Now, I talked about the Silver Bridge Collapse in my Friday's bit-isode, talking about Indrid Cold, who we're going to talk about in just a second here. Um, but just a quick little overview, there was a bridge that was built in 1928, and it connected Point Pleasant to Gallipolis, Ohio. And on December 15th, that bridge collapsed, and it killed 46 people, mostly by drowning or getting crushed. And, uh, you know, the official reports is that it was just structurally weak. It was built a long time ago in 1928, and it was built to hold much lighter cars with a much lower traffic threshold. So as the years went on and traffic increased, you know, became a thing and uh, got more populated in the area and cars got heavier, eventually one of the supporting cables just snapped. Now, when they did the investigation, that's what they said happened, is that the cable just snapped. It was probably due to corrosion and, um, you know, just being old. There was no foul play. There was nothing to indicate that somebody had gone up and cut it or anything like that. So this was a natural disaster that happened, or I guess, I, I don't know if it'd be qualified as a natural disaster, but it wasn't something that was done in an act of terrorism or anything like that, as far as all the investigators concluded through their investigations. Now, what does this Mothman and all these sightings that were going on have to do with this Silver Bridge collapse? Well, the theory is, and the thinking by some people that was uh, made popular by a 1975 book called The Mothman Prophecies by John Keel, is that maybe these things were kind of a harbinger of doom. You know, they were coming to warn people about this because these sightings ramped up pretty heavily in that 13th month period right beforehand, and then afterwards they died off. Now, the reports and everything had died off right after that, but as we'll find out, the sightings and, and the occurrences of this Mothman never really stopped. In fact, they continue to this day. But it seemed like there was this flap, there was this big um, explosion of sightings of Mothman around that time. Now, of course, right after the Silver Bridge collapse, nobody was talking about Mothman. I mean, people had just lost a bunch of loved ones, and people were dying in their community, and they had this horrible, horrific disaster that went on. So that would explain a lot why it didn't get into the news for a while after that, because people were preoccupied with the fact that the people they loved just died. So they weren't too worried about these paranormal things that were going on, and uh, everybody making these claims of seeing all this strange stuff in the area. They were much more occupied with the fact that they just had a disaster in their town. Now there are stories of people having seen Mothman at the bridge or seen him flying away from the bridge or right around that area. Um, I didn't find too many of those that I could call necessarily credible, so I'm not going to put a lot of stake into those that may have just been attributed to it later on, but the idea still remains and the fact still remains that these sightings ramped up right before the Silver Bridge collapse. You know, in this show, I mean, I obviously love paranormal stuff and crazy stuff outside of the norm, which is the reason why I started the show in the first place. But I will always do my best that if I find things that I don't think are justifiable or realistic to let you guys know that or to, to just throw them out altogether. You know, I did an episode a little while ago about the man from Turred, which is one of my 
favorite stories of all time. And by the end of it, I concluded that it's all bullshit. So I do my best not to just be spouting off a bunch of random shit here. Um, but all I can do is report what I find. So I think that there are a lot of credible sightings of this. And as you'll see as we go on, there's even credible evidence around this. There's a whole museum dedicated to it. But there are things that we have to be careful about getting attributed to it that may not necessarily be the truth. So going back to that, there was a book written in 1975 by a man named John Keel, and he had spent a whole bunch of time researching into the subject, traveling over there, checking it out. And that 2002 movie Mothman Prophecies was based on this book starring John Cusack. It's a pretty fun movie if you want to watch it. Um, but it's about him and it's about his investigative reporting into this. In that book, he kind of drew a few conclusions, like stating that maybe this uh, Mothman was a harbinger of doom and things like that. And I think that kind of got built into the lore around this and kind of got speedballed and then repeated back into the whole overall arching theme of it. Now, does that mean that that isn't the case, that he was just kind of made this up and he was wrong about it? Not necessarily. But... That wasn't really put forth until after that book, from what I can find. So we got to take that into account that maybe that kind of came from um, his ideas rather than the actual goings on of the event. So that's kind of a very, very quick overview, very quick overview of the sightings and stuff that had happened in that 13 month period between 1966 and 1967 before the Silver Bridge collapse. But we're going to get into a lot more as we go forward here. I, like I said, I, I just don't want to spend a million years going through all the different sightings, kind of like I did in the Sasquatch episode. On the Sasquatch episode, I did that because Sasquatch is already such a well-known um, cryptid that you guys already have an idea of what he is. And I wanted to do that to show historical accounts and show other people's accounts of what was going on. Here, we're going to take kind of a different route. I gave you a brief overview of what happened before the Silver Bridge collapse, and now we're going to talk about the other things that were kind of associated with it and some connections that I've drawn with what's been going on uh, with the Mothman sightings kind of all over the country and really all over the world. So during that same time, during that 13-month period, there was another thing that was happening. And this is what I talked about in my last Friday's episode with Indrid Cold, is that there was a ton of UFO sightings and lights in the sky being sighted. And that kind of culminated with this man, Indrid Cold, coming into uh, the scene here. Now, if you want to hear more about the story of Indrid Cold, please go back and listen to my last Friday's episode. It plays exactly along in with this because it is all one big story. But essentially what happened is a man was driving down the road on I-77, this man Woodrow Derenberger, and he saw this thing speed past him kind of like a car and then it stopped in the middle of the road and he said it was hovering above the road and he described it as a kerosene lamp chimney well out steps this man in this metallic blue suit with a dark complexion he said he was about six foot tall with slicked back black hair and he had this giant grin from ear to ear and this man walked up to his car slowly and talked to him supposedly telepathically telling him that he was an interdimensional traveler or a man from another world and that his name was cold 
uh, later we'll find out that his full name was Indrid Cold, but he said that he was just kind of curious about humans and wanted to study them and would give this man kind of warnings about things that were coming, like that we're destroying the earth and that we are going too far with nuclear power and things like that, that all these kind of UFO sightings always lead into. So he kind of told him that he was this man from another place and time, from another planet essentially, and that he wanted him to tell people people about him because he wants people to know that we're being visited and that there's visitors all around us and has been for a very long time and then he takes off so after that there's some kind of uh, interesting findings that I, I poked into as I found this stuff that I didn't go through on Friday so I'm going to talk a little bit more about injured cold for a second so this man, Woody Derenberger, um, claimed to have continued contact with Indrid Cold long after this first event. And now, before we go any further with that, just so you know, there is a rash of sightings also that people claim to see these UFOs, and some people even claim to see Indrid Cold. I talked about that on Friday, who there was a reporter named Mary Heyer, who was in contact with this Indrid Cold, who was getting phone calls from him, supposedly, who was giving her these warnings. And he gave her a warning two weeks before the the bridge collapsed that something big was going to happen and there was going to be a catastrophic catastrophic event in their area um again you can go back to friday's episode and listen to that but he was not the only man this woody derenberger who claimed to have seen this and so he claims that he had kept communication with him and was receiving telepathic communication with him for years after this and that he um was told about their planet that this Indrid Cold supposedly came from. We called it Lanulus. And he told him all about their society there and everything. Said that they were a lot like humans. You know, they married and raised families and everything like that. And he said that his planet had oceans and rivers and fields. And it was a lot like Earth, whether it was a parallel place or another planet. Um, he said the only difference is they didn't have any sort of violence, any sort of war. And that is why humans were so interesting to him. And he also said that they didn't have any form of government. People just chose to govern themselves because there was no sort of violence. So it was kind of this utopian planet, which we hear a lot of times in the UFO um, lore. So this is where it kind of gets a little bit crazy. So he claimed that he had, you know, contact with this guy for a really long time. And a lot of it, you know, goes pretty... Uh, pretty outlandish claims like he claimed that sometimes he would be taken in the spaceship to Lanulus and he would just disappear for long periods of time and then show back up and say that he was taken and he was in this place so it's hard to verify when people make crazy claims like that um, if if that had actually happened but we do know he would actually disappear and at one point he went and saw a psychiatrist because he did this on his own he thought that maybe he was losing his mind he went and talked to a psychiatrist about it and told him about this injured cold and about his visitations with him and how sometimes he would come home and injured cold would be there with his right hand man in his backyard and they would have a chat and just all this kind of crazy shit so the psychiatrist what's really interesting about this is evaluated him said that he didn't find any mental problems with him but right after that the psychiatrist claims that he had gotten contacted by injured cold telepathically so we have this man coming in saying that he's contacted by this alien that came out as a spaceship right before this bridge collapse and claimed to warn everybody about this thing, which then we have Mary Heyer, the reporter, getting contacted from and actually publishing documented articles two weeks before a bridge collapse saying that this was going to happen. 
And then he goes and sees a psychiatrist saying that, hey, am I crazy? And then we have the psychiatrist saying that right after that, he's getting contacted by injured cold. So a lot of little pieces fitting together. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I don't know how much stock we can put into this. But we do know for sure what happened is a lot of people saw the lights in the sky. Multiple people claim to see injured cold. And there is documented uh, newspaper articles of this reporter getting contacted by this injured cold before the bridge collapsed two weeks before claiming that she was told something something tragic was going to happen. So that's a kind of short little overview of injured cold. Again, I did a 15 minute episode on it or 20 minute episode last Friday. So you can go back and hear a little bit more about Mary Hire's uh, account and what happened with her as a reporter when it comes to comes to the injured cold Mothman prophecies. So back to this Mothman himself. Like I said, the sightings never really stopped. You know, the, the rash of sightings slowed down, it seemed, but the sightings never stopped. And a lot of accounts you can find um, continued on from there and seemed to give other warnings at different times. Like in April 27th, 1978, when there was a cooling tower collapse at the Pleasance Power Station on Willow Island, right outside of Parksburg, and 51 workers were killed as the scaffolding and everything came down, killed 51 people. Well, guess what? Right before that, there was a rash of Mothman sightings in the area. So again, kind of plays into that. Maybe these things are harbingers of doom, and we're going to talk about that at the end of, of what that might actually mean. There was also a lady in that same documentary that I played a clip from earlier talking about how she had gone outside when she was younger and seen these glowing red eyes because she heard a noise and went out and saw these Mothman's eyes. Well, not long after that, her dad was on flight TWA-128, which was coming into Cincinnati and crashed and 64 people in the plane were killed. Her dad was only one of 16 survivors from that, that tragic plane crash, but it's like it came to kind of give her a warning that something bad is coming. And there's many, many, many more. I mean, all the way up in 2016, a man moved to Point Pleasant, had, wasn't from around there, claimed to have no um, idea about what this thing is, had never heard of it, and then went and saw this thing jumping from tree to tree that looked like this big bat-like creature and went and reported it. And they're like, oh yeah, that's the Mothman. He looked into it and he's like, yeah, that's exactly what I saw. So even people who aren't necessarily fanatics with this thing are going in and seeing this thing around that area still to this day. And like I said, guys, there is just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these reports. But here's where I'm going to get into some other stuff. So Mothman is most closely related with Point Pleasant, West Virginia, to the point where actually in 2002, they started the Mothman Festival, where tens of thousands of people come every year. And uh, I would absolutely love to go to one of these. But they built a big 12-foot statue of Mothman right in the middle of town. It's kind of become this like cultural thing that they do. And everybody goes there. And there's a Mothman museum that was started there that gathers all this information and all the artifacts and any sort of evidence that they have. And it's all kind of held in one place right there. It's the world's only Mothman museum as far as I know. So it's kind of become this, this cultural thing. And it's very closely associated with this Point Pleasant area. Well, we've talked about the Point Pleasant area this whole time, so has this happened anywhere else? Is there anything else that could be going on, or is this just a localized event? Well, that's where it gets kind of fun. So it looks like Mothman has been seen in a lot of other areas around the world. There has been reports that he was seen before 9-11 in New York quite a few times. Um, I could find people referencing those reports. I couldn't find those reports themselves, so I'm not going to put a whole lot of stock into that, but there are... Um, 
supposed sightings around 9-11. There's also supposed sightings around Chernobyl before Chernobyl, Chernobyl happened. Again, that might be attributed to that Mothman Prophecies book because he had mentioned that in there. And even the man himself who wrote it said after he put it in there, he started kind of getting it parroted back to him. And he says he thinks he might have made that up. So we're not going to put a whole lot of stock into that one either. I don't know where he came up with that idea. But those are two of the other places that we hear about Mothman, we just can't substantiate them. And again, that might be attributed to in that book, he said that these things are kind of harbingers of doom, as it seems to be. And so people see these big um, national or worldwide tragedies happen and they go, oh, well, he must have been there as well. So that might be happening. But we can't put a lot of stock into those. But we do have some that we can put some stock into. So down in Texas, we have this thing called the Texas Batman. And guess what? It's the exact same thing. Now, I did a lot of research and looked at a lot of different websites and watched a lot of documentaries and stuff. And I'm trying to, like I said, just condense this as much as possible for you guys. But I'm going to have all these links on my website. And I highly, highly, highly recommend that you go onto my website at StolenReality.com. Go underneath the episode notes. Click on this episode's links and look through all these articles because a lot of these have video and picture evidence of these things. And unless people are really good at Photoshop and are just out there just doctoring all these photos for fun, there's some pretty compelling things that you'll see in here. I mean, it looks like humanoid figures with wings that are getting caught on camera. Um, but anyway, back to these Texas stories. So in Texas... All the way back in 1953, so this actually predates the Point Pleasant Mothman, this man, um, Howard Phillips, who was 33, and his neighbor, Judy Meyer, who was 14, saw this thing across the street from him. They saw this giant um, humanoid creature. They say it was about 25 feet away. And he says, I saw a huge shadow across the lawn. I thought at first it was magnified reflection of a big moth caught on the nearby streetlight. Then the shadow seemed to bounce upward into a pecan tree. We looked up. That's when we saw it. He said it was a man-like form which stood six and a half feet tall and sported bat wings on its back. A strange yellow glow surrounded the Batman, and the witness sat stunned and watched for 30 seconds, and then the light began to fade, and the figure vanished. Judy Meyer let out an ear-piecing scream, it said. Immediately afterwards, Walker said, we heard a loud swoosh over the housetops across the street. It was like the white flash of a torpedo-shaped object. I've heard so much about flying saucer stories, and I thought all those people telling the stories were crazy, but now I don't know what to believe. I may be nuts, but I saw it, whatever it was, and I sat there stupefied. I was amazed. So, this, again, predates the Point Pleasant sightings, but we have the exact same thing. So, right now, in live time, I just googled 1953 Texas, and you know what the first thing that pops up is? The Waco tornado outbreak. So in 1953, there was a huge outbreak of tornadoes in Texas that was the deadliest and most powerful F5 tornado that struck on May 11th, causing 114 of the 144 deaths in the outbreak. So <laughs> just right now, I found this again, making those connections. You're not going to find anywhere else, everybody. There was this sighting of this Mothman-like creature in Texas, and then we had a giant tornado outbreak, and 144 people died. So we have this kind of harbinger of doom coming in right before this, this horrible tragedy happens. And there's been other sightings down in Texas, and it kind of, again, has its own name for it because it's something that happens. 
And we're seeing this kind of pop up in all sorts of different places. So the next one from Texas, we're going to go into northern Mexico, which isn't far off from Texas. Which, by the way, in 1954, I googled 1954 Texas to see if anything popped up. And the only thing that popped up was Operation Wetback, which is a incredibly horrible thing. But it sounds like they did like a mass deportation campaign of the Mexican-Americans down there at the time. Uh, I didn't look too much into that operation, but that's all that popped up there. So we have this um, mass deportation of, of Mexicans. And then right below that, we have this sightings also in northern Mexico. Now, if I sound a little bit scattered when I talk about these things sometimes, guys, that's because I am literally, as I'm talking right now, I'm on my computer, I'm Googling, I'm looking things, and I'm still learning as I go. Like I said, there is so much to these, and I have already looked at 10 million articles and watched documentaries and listened to podcasts, and I've known about Mothman for a very long time, but even still, I'm finding new stuff, like, like up to the minute, right? This is live news feed right here. So, let's get into what happened down in Mexico. So in Mexico, instead of having the Texas Batman, they have what's called the Northern Mexico Man Bat. This is a really interesting one and the only time that I found where we have a bit of a physical altercation going on. Now on my site, of course, I'll have these links and there's a website called Mexico Unexplained and it has a whole section on Mexico Man Bat sightings and these are not a singular event. They, they date back decades, just like all of these do, so they've been around. But I'm going to talk about one in particular that's a lot newer that's pretty interesting. On July 16th, 2004, a young police officer named Leonardo Samiago Gallegos, Gallegos, again, sorry about my pronunciations, guys. We don't uh, have a lot of cultural diversity here, unfortunately. So you'll have to forgive my linguistic ignorance. But anyway, I'm just going to go ahead and read you the article real quick about what happened to this young police officer. He was patrolling the neighborhood of Valles del Salia, in the municipality of Guadalupe, an eastern suburb of Monterey. Officer Samaniago was driving his patrol car down Aldama Street when he saw something big and black fall from a tree. The black figure did not touch the ground but seemed to hover over it. Samiago turned on the patrol car's high beams and before him in the short distance stood a humanoid with big black eyes, brownish skin, and what appeared to be black clothing or fur. According to the officer's report, upon having the car's headlights shined on it, the creature covered its eyes, see that again, and became angry and then lunged at the car. It grabbed the patrol car and shook it violently. In a panic, Samaniago spun the car in a circle to try to shake off whatever had gotten hold of his car. He grabbed the police radio and desperately called for reinforcements. The creature then started to smash the windshield, at which point the young policeman shifted the car into reverse, gunned the engine, lost control of the vehicle, and crashed it and was knocked unconscious. When he came to, revived by paramedics, the creature had been long gone. Samaniago was rushed to the university hospital, and in addition to being treated for his physical wounds, he was subjected to psychological and toxicological tests to determine whether he was under the influence when he had his supposed encounter. All the tests came up negative. The police department was left with a mangled car and a strange testimony of a very trusted officer. So I have heard this story before. I actually heard it on a podcast about witches, and they had claimed that this was like a, a witch or a banshee that came down after him. But this website equates it with the man bat or the, the mothman or the batman or whatever it's called in different regions. And it makes a lot more sense in this context because it sounds exactly like everybody else was seeing. The only difference here is that it had attacked his car. But again, remember those two young couples at the very beginning that were at the TNT factory when it 
got the light shined on it, it got aggravated and started swooping their car. It didn't grab onto it, but it still pissed it off enough to chase them down the road at almost 100 miles an hour. And there's other reports of that happening too in that same Point Pleasant area where people come up and shine lights on it and it gets mad and starts swooping over them. In fact, there's a very recent report of that happening in like 2015 or something like that, 14, but but a newer, newer report of that happening. So it does seem like light kind of pisses this thing off, which we'll, we'll talk about at the end why that might be. Again, I think it's funny they call him the Mothman. They should call him the Batman. I think that makes more sense. Bats like light a lot less than moths do. If it was the Mothman, it would go and huddle around the headlights of your car. So that's a, a documented, a very well-documented uh, report from a very trusted source, from a police officer saying that this happened and the whole police department being like, yeah, there was this car that was all beat up and scratched up. We can't claim that he saw what he says he saw, but something happened, right? And he wasn't drunk. He wasn't on any drugs. There was no toxicology. And he called in on his radio saying that this was happening while it was happening, asking for backup. So something happened, right? Like he didn't just lose his freaking mind <laughs> and then get out and scratch his car up with his 12 foot nails or some shit, you know, like, like something happened here. So even if we can count out stories like Chernobyl and like 9-11 where there's not a whole lot of credibility behind it, but there's still supposed reported sightings, then we have things like this where we have credibility behind it and we have witnesses and we have um, things that are just really hard to explain. Which brings us to the next big finding, and that is Chicago. So starting in 2011, there's been a rash of sightings of Mothman around Chicago, and it peaked in 2017, but these are still ongoing. But when we look into these, because, you know, the, the sightings in Point Pleasant happened a long time ago, and they got into their local newspapers, well, now we have the internet. So now all these sightings are getting much more well-documented and making it all over the place. And when you look into the Chicago Mothman sightings, and I'm going to go over a bunch of these real quick here, there is hundreds of them, and we have video evidence, we have pictures, and we have them in very credible news sources, like, you know, big name major news sources. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of get into it a little bit right here. So Mothman started popping up all over Chicago, like I said, back in 2011, and still continues to this day to be seen around that area. And there's been a lot of very credible witnesses, and there has been hundreds of accounts. So I'm going to tell you one from 2022. So this is very recent, on December 29th, 2022. And this is from a fireman. He said, I heard what sounded like a chirping sound, followed by what sounded like shuffling coming from nearby. I looked around, and that's when I heard the clicking coming from across the street. I looked up, and standing on the edge of the HVAC plant was a very tall, thin, human-like creature with huge wings that were spread out. This creature was looking directly at me with a pair of large red eyes that had the intensity of a pair of, t of taillights, or one of the lights on the engine. This was at Chicago O'Hare Airport. So this is where a lot of the sightings were happening and are happening or around the airport over there. He says that he went and told his coworkers about it and they said a few of them spoke up and said that this was not the first time it had been seen and that it has been seen around the HVAC plant a few times by people and around the airport by hundreds of employees, passengers, and pilots. So very credible account again from a very credible person. Why would you go ruin your career and talk about this and make yourself sound crazy for absolutely no reason unless you saw or at least thought you saw something and uh, wanted the world to know about it? And we have hundreds of accounts of it. So there's a website that I'll have linked on my website that 
has taken all these Chicago sightings and then compiled them. And each one of these has a link to the entire story and everybody's personal account of it. But I'm not gonna read you through all those. What I'm gonna do is I'm just gonna read you a handful of these titles because there's a lot of them. So just listen real quick to this. Photo, second Mothman bat-like object witnessed over Chicago. Third Mothman slash bat-like object reported over Chicago. New Mothman-like encounter in Chicago. Interview, first Chicago owl man, which is another thing they call it because, you know, big bird-like creature. I witness in Oz Park. Chicago owl man, Mothman seen again by multiple witnesses. Breaking, third Chicago owl man sighted reporting. Fourth sighting in Chicago, giant bat over Lake Michigan, Montrose Beach. Breaking, bat out of hell witnessed by father and son by the Little Calumet River in Chicago. Large humanoid bat witnessed over Calumet Park in Chicago. Pair of large bat-like humanoids downtown Chicago. Downtown Chicago flying humanoid sighted confirmed. Large black flying man sighted in Calumet Park neighborhood. Truck driver observes large bat-like humanoid gliding over C Cicero, Illinois. Large winged humanoid encounter again in Lincoln Park, Chicago. Jogger encounters Chicago phantom near the Navy Pier. Giant red-eyed bat flies over a couple in Chicago Lake View. Large human-like bat seen in multiple witnesses in Alder Planetarium. Planetarium. Um, these go on. These go on for a long time. I could sit here and just rattle off the titles of these for another 30, 40 minutes. I mean, there's a whole website, and every single one of these has people's witness testimonies and accounts, and a lot of them have video and picture evidence. This has made it into NPR. There's a whole thing on NPR here. On the sun.co.uk, they talk about it and have pictures of this thing. In fact, this is a really good one you should click on when you go to my website because you can see this thing's big old wings and then its legs. It has human legs behind it. I mean, this is just, it's just endless. There's a ton and a ton and a ton of them. And just like I said during my Bigfoot episode, Let's just say that all of these people are making this up, except for one person. Except that one person actually saw this and knows what they saw. That makes this real. But again, we gotta ask, why is there hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people coming out and saying they saw this and somehow getting video evidence or spending the time to doctor it, which, you know, I'm getting a little better at uh, media stuff with my TikTok and stuff, but I sure as hell can't doctor a video showing a humanoid creature flying through the air that holds up to scrutiny when people look at it, like not even close. So you have to have some sort of talent to do that. And uh, there's just all these accounts and all these sightings happening with this. So then I started thinking, okay, well, all these other sightings are happening around these great catastrophes, supposedly. Is there anything that has happened in Chicago recently? And then, you know, when you look up Chicago, sorry if you live in Chicago, but it's always a catastrophe. Chicago's got like murders every day and it's got all sorts of, of um, you know, horrible things going on all the time. So if this is something that, necess that isn't necessarily like a, a harbinger of doom, but kind of feeds on um, negative energy, which we'll talk about here in a little bit, Chicago would be a pretty good place to be. But here's what really caught my mind um, when I was looking at this. And this is the connection you're not going to find anywhere else, folks. Again, you got the world's best paranormal investigator here. So a lot of these sightings that happen in Chicago mainly happen over the water. Well, what water is right next to Chicago? Lake Michigan. I just did an episode a week, two weeks ago about areas of high strangeness. And what was one of those areas? 
the Lake Michigan Triangle. They found a Stonehenge at the bottom of Lake Michigan, and it's an area where all these ships go missing and all these UFO sightings. There's those UFOs getting tied in with Mothman again, happening right there in the Lake Michigan Triangle, right next to Chicago. That's right on Lake Michigan. So I don't know what exactly the connection is there, but sounds to me like we have a, a, another hot spot of that area of high strangeness happening right in this very populated area where everybody's got cell phones now and is, is capturing images and things of this. I also talked about in that areas of high strangeness about the Chestnut Ridge and that whole area down there. And what was something that people claimed to see down there? Giant thunderbirds, huge birds in the sky with these 10, 12, 14 foot wingspans. Well, maybe these are one and the same. Because again, you're looking up at the sky, you see this giant thing fly past you at 60 miles an hour. Um, it'd be pretty tough to distinguish exactly what it is. All you know is that it's gigantic. So you have this other area of high strangeness seeing these giant winged creatures. So like I said, I'll have all these linked up on my site and go through and look at these pictures and read these things. Like you guys can think that I'm talking a bunch of bullshit and that's fine. I don't really care if you believe me. I guess if, if you really didn't believe me at all, you wouldn't be listening to this. But read through them because there's a lot of accounts and most of these accounts aren't people being like he came down and we played patty cake and went to the bar together you know they're not like these fantastical things it's like i was walking home i saw this thing like spread its wings out and then take off and it scared the shit out of me and then i went home and i was so scared that my wife asked what was wrong and like called a doctor or something like that you know what i mean like where it's just it's not like this elaborate story so much as it's like, yeah, I saw this thing or I snapped a picture of this thing on my phone or there's a video of this thing that I caught. And there's all these people coming out in this pocket area saying these exact same things. And it seems to happen in flaps like this all over the place. Now, maybe, uh, you know, I hope to God I'm wrong about this, but maybe there is a catastrophe leading up to the O'Hare Airport there in Chicago. Um, because it seems to be kind of a, a hot spot where these things are being seen. But again, we also have the Lake Michigan right there with the Lake Michigan Triangle, so maybe it ties into that as well. So, with all these stories going on and all these different things from around the world, or at least around the, the um, North American continent, it seems, what do we think is happening here? Well, there's quite a few ideas, quite a few theories. Obviously, nobody has an answer because, uh, <laughs> we, well, it'd be great if we did, but we don't. So let's go through a couple of them. First one, as always, is that it's a hoax. Point Pleasant did it for publicity back in the day. Uh, the Silverton Bridge just happened, or the Silver Bridge just happened to collapse, and it just kind of fed into the folklore of it. And then they made a festival out of it 30 years later, and it's good for tourism, and they continued that. And because of that, other places have started talking about it. Now we got to ask, first of all, why hundreds of people coming forward when they don't have anything to gain with it? Is it this giant conspiracy? And we also got to ask... What about the very credible witnesses? What about the firemen? What about the police officers? What about these people who have a lot to lose um, and having physical evidence left behind, like a car getting torn up or video evidence or photo evidence? So if it is a hoax, it's pretty goddamn elaborate and there's a lot of people in on it um, and I don't really see the point behind it. Now, we can have a hoax without it being a conspiracy, right? It doesn't mean that they all have to be working together. It can be this kind of mass groupthink thing where one person comes up with it and then the other person says, oh, that's a good idea, I want to do that. And the next person, the next person, they're not necessarily working together. Everybody's just kind of making this up all at once. 
that can be the case. But again, we got evidence, we got videos, we got hundreds and hundreds of reports. And like I always say, if one, one single report is true, then that proves it. So the burden of proof here isn't so much um, on the people claiming to see it at this point, in my opinion, because there's so many people claiming it. It's the burden of proof is on the on the disbelievers. You come in and say, okay, prove all these people wrong. Because just like I said in the Bigfoot episode, you know, people ask for evidence of the paranormal and ask for evidence of ghosts or, or Bigfoot or aliens or whatever. And then when you have hundreds of people, sometimes thousands of people come out and say, okay, well, here's my evidence. Here's my eyewitness testimony. Here's my pictures. Here's my video. Um, you know, sometimes there are hair samples or footprints or whatever, depending on the cryptid or creature or whatever. You can't just say, oh, well, that's not real. Like you have to look into that evidence. If you're asking for evidence and it's presented to you, like how much evidence do you actually need? So again, I'm not going 100% with hoax with this. I don't necessarily know what I believe. And we're going to get into a lot of uh, other things here in just a second. But I don't think that this is just a whole bunch of people just doing this for shits and giggles. Which is a strange expression, by the way, shits and giggles. I don't shit when I giggle, or at least I try not to. I suppose I probably have before. All right, anyway... The next idea would be that this is some sort of mutation. So the first ones that were seen around that Point Pleasant area, or I guess not the first ones because the first ones were in Texas, but the most common ones were in that Point Pleasant area and they were around that TNT factory. Now, as I said earlier, that TNT factory, they left a lot of those chemicals and a lot of the stuff used to make explosives behind and that area is very highly contaminated. So maybe this is some sort of natural creature that has then been essentially radiated and then over the years after that and the subsequent years and generations has been mutated into these things. Um, you know, you have the glowing red eyes and in the, in the case in Texas, he said it had kind of a, a yellowish or greenish glow around it. That's pretty quintessential, at least in cartoons, right? Of things that are radiated and kind of glowing. So there is that idea that, that maybe these are um, a natural thing and they're a natural creature and we just don't see a lot of them because there's not a lot of them until they get over these highly populated areas. Like I was saying in Bigfoot, you know, there's, there's a lot of open land in America. You walk back 50 miles into the woods. When was the last time you were back there? Who knows what's back there? So maybe these things live in very sparsely populated areas. And then every once in a while kind of find their way into densely populated areas. And then um, these rashes of sightings happen. Maybe one or two or a couple of them have found their way into Chicago for whatever reason. Um, face chasing food sources or whatever these things do. And now all these people are seeing it there because of that. So that is that is a possibility that it's just a natural creature. What are those uh, big old fox looking bats called? Like king bats or something like that? Um, I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of those online, but people standing next to them, these things are like five feet tall and they have like six foot wingspans or something like that. So how big of a, of a stretch is it to then say, okay, well, we go from five feet to six feet tall and then a six foot wingspan to an eight to ten foot wingspan like that's not that much bigger when you think about it and with things like contamination or something and genetic mutations maybe that's what's happening and then you say okay well what about the glowing red eyes well from what i can find with the glowing red eyes it seems it's only when people shine light at it and i don't know how much time you guys have spent in the woods but when you shine light at something um, there is this eye reflection that happens and usually it's yellowish but i'm sure it can be red everybody's seen the old photographs of how um, 
when you snap an old photograph and everybody's eye shine comes back red and everybody looks like demons. I just saw a thing. I guess, you know, I didn't realize that doesn't happen anymore because we have cell phones and digital photography. And I, I read a thing the other day of somebody talking to their kid and their kid being like, Mom, why did everybody when you were a kid look like demons in photographs? Because I guess, I guess I didn't think about that. You don't really get red eye anymore. But, you know, when I was growing up and that was that was a thing so we know that we get that eye refraction back like that um and so if these are natural creatures maybe that's just what's going on i think there's some things with these things that don't really add up to natural creature to me but you never know so the next idea is plays along with the area of high strangeness uh, episode that i did a while ago now in that episode i said that a lot of these areas of high strangeness have something to do with usually like massacres that happen to Native Americans. And there's something that plays along the line of like Native American curses. And I, I still don't understand that. I really need to do more research into that because it is a thing that happens. And you even see it in movies like Poltergeist where, you know, somebody builds a house on an Indian burial ground and then they get haunted. But it, it seems to actually happen in real life. And I don't my mind can't wrap around how that would work necessarily. Like if the natives were just closer to nature and had a closer connection with the other world. And so when they die, there's residual or something. I'm not, I'm not hundred percent sure. I'm going to get into that someday when I dive deeper into it. But apparently around Point Pleasant and the area where these all started really happening and getting into popular culture, there was again, a lot of that going on. So I guess there was a lot of tribes around that area, including the Shawnee and the Cherokee. And just, there was 31 tribes altogether that came in and out of that area. Well, when the English and the French were fighting, the natives decided to join forces with the French against the English. Obviously that didn't work out too well for them. The English ended up winning and a lot of people died. And in that area, they call it the Valley of the Dead because there's so many Indian burial mounds and because of, of urban sprawl and things getting um, erected there and then de demolishing land to build and everything, those get tore up sometimes. And so if it is some sort of Native American curse, or there's, you know, the, the um, like idea of a mummy curse that if you disturb a uh, burial plot, something bad's going to happen. And we see that with Dogman. We see that with, with mummy uh, curses. And this might be kind of the same story that these things are kind of uh, just pissed off because the, the white people are coming in and destroying all this native land. So I just, like I said, I don't understand how that works in my mind. And I will get more into it and, and do an episode about it at some point. But it is a thing that, that seems to happen, especially with things like Skinwalker Ranch and just all these areas of high strangeness. So there is that possibility. Along those same lines is in a lot of these areas, we have flowing water or we have large bodies of water like with Lake Michigan and we have the crossroads. So when bodies of water meet in one area or even when actual roads cross in one area, that's seen in a lot of occultic lore to be very um, important because areas of crossroads are like an area where the worlds kind of meet. And if you are doing a lot of occultic rituals and you need to put an offering out or you need to do some sort of burial sacrifice or things like that, a lot of times you will do it at the crossroads because that's where the worlds meet and that's where you're able to kind of come into contact with these other beings, whether those are natural crosswords crossroads or they are man-made crossroads i don't think it really matters either way the connecting of two things has a lot of occultic symbolism in it and then water also 
has a lot of occultic symbol in it, symbolism in it. I'm stumbling over my words. I've been talking too long again. But it, it seems like water has always had this um, lubrication effect between the worlds, like with the mists of Avalon, right? Where you're able to get into these different worlds by going through these highly dense water areas. So you have these big bodies of water converging at these crossroads, and it seems like these are the places where these... Uh, are are happening and again that kind of goes back to native american folklore and a lot of old ancient traditional ideas and occultic and gnostic beliefs about this so there could be something to do with that that there's kind of portals in these areas that are open between dimensions or between worlds on that note in point pleasant in the 80s there was a rash of occultic be uh, behavior you know a lot of cults coming in doing rituals in the woods, sacrifices, things like that. The same stuff I was talking about in the Bridgewater Triangle on my Areas of High Strangeness episode. Now we have a bit of a chicken and an egg scenario here. Did the cults come in and do a lot of rituals and open up a portal to something demonic or evil to come through? Or did they hear about all these happenings and then go there because of that and perform their rituals there? Or... Is this area already kind of a natural portal? So there's things coming through and that's why they used it. I don't know. But those two things do go kind of hand in hand in a lot of these situations, including this one in Point Pleasant. So then speaking of things being from other worlds, we have the alien phenomenon that's happening with this, right? I talked about Indrid Cold. Well, with all these sightings, we also have rashes of UFO sightings. UFO sightings over Chicago are pretty damn common. And with the Lake Michigan Triangle right there, there's a ton of UFO and USO, unidentified submerged objects that come from under the water and then go up into the sky, happening all over there all the time. And then we had that rash of sightings also happen down in Point Pleasant um, with the Mothman sightings as well. And then the contact with Indrid Cold saying that he's from that Lanus or Lanus, Lanos or whatever uh, dimension or world. So there's something to be said that these things kind of correlate with each other. Now, what does that mean? <laughs> That's a good question. You tell me. Um, are Is Mothman an alien? Is Mothman maybe a pet of these things? You know, is it kind of maybe another species that travels with these aliens? Because when you had that Indrid Cold thing, Indrid Cold didn't look like Mothman. He looked kind of like a creepy-ass human with a big old smile across his face. Kind of more like a man in black, like I mentioned in my Indrid Cold episode on Friday. Um, but Mothman's not what came out of this UFO. He came out of this UFO. But there was UFO sightings at the same time as these Mothman sightings. And we see that kind of time and time again in all these rash of sightings. So somehow they correlate with each other. But at the same time, we have that same phenomenon happen with Bigfoot. Like I talked about in my Bigfoot episode, where Bigfoot gets seen in uh, conjunction with UFOs all the time. So there's a possibility that they work together. There's a possibility that they are kind of one and the same or there's a possibility that these are portals and openings to other places or that brings us to our next idea and i really like this idea so there's this idea of ultra terrestrials not extraterrestrials ultra terrestrials and i forget who coined that term and who came up with this i should have wrote his name down but i forget but essentially it's that these alien sightings and these bigfoot sightings and cryptid sightings and gnomes and all these things that have been seen throughout history are really one and the same thing 
but it's like our mind interprets them different depending on what we have in our mind. And I'm going to play a clip for you real quick of a man explaining this really well. There really is no explanation, as far as I know. I, I, I don't know if there is a particular unconscious archetype that's being accessed. I have a general theory of the paranormal, which is, if it does exist, if there is an exterior force at work, that it it might be presenting itself as, as almost just as a sort of a inchoate energy, almost like snow on a TV. And as people experience it, whatever that energy is that they're interacting with, interacts with their mind. And as human beings, we try to unscramble the signal. It's like a Rorschach test. Here's this thing, but what do you see? Some people will see Mothman. Other people will uh, maybe see a dead relative. Other people will see aliens. It's just sort of your mind flipping through things, trying to attach to something. Maybe that exterior energy is interacting with your mind and helping you select something that works for you. And then you move on to phase two of the experience, which is whatever the content of the communication is. So I believe that was actually the man who wrote that Mothman Prophecies book. I'm not 100% sure, but I think that might have been John Keel talking. But I've always thought that that was a pretty interesting idea, that the reason why um, sightings of UFOs and things are always very similar but aren't exactly the same for everybody is because that it's not this physical thing that's happening to us. It's actually this, like, um, you know, it, it's something outside of our bandwidth that we can normally see, but our, our minds are still registering it. So they have to make something up for it, right? I talked about this in my episode about brain injury savants, about how our left hemisphere will take all the information we get in our right hemisphere and then streamline it and say, hey, this is what you're looking at. Well, if you have something that your brain can't really comprehend and isn't maybe fully physical right in front of you, then it has to make something up. So we have these archetypes of these demonic entities and these aliens and things that get put into popular media and culture and have been throughout history. So when we see something that's kind of along those lines a little bit, our mind reaches for that and then says, okay, here's what you're seeing. So I like that idea. I don't know if that's 100% what I believe is going on here because it is, um, you know, a lot of the times with these ones, you have the reports being so similar to each other that if you had a random person in the middle of the woods see something and their mind tried to reach for uh, an explanation and it saw Mothman, the other person trying to reach for that explanation without having any prior knowledge of that one probably would come up with something else. So I think there is a little bit more physical form to it than that. But I don't know. We also have uh, the car getting beat up and scratched and that guy's dog going missing. So there's some physicality to it there. But that's just kind of an overall general um, explanation about paranormal that some people come up with. Like all things paranormal are underneath this thing. I think it's coined, I think there's a book called The Goblin Universe that really explains this really well. But essentially they're all encompassed underneath this same thing and our minds are interpreting it differently depending on how our mind works. Then we gotta say, okay, well, what is our mind trying to interpret? What are these other things? And that leads us to our next one. Maybe they're some sort of like demonic force. As we all know, every culture throughout history has had an idea of demons, and they've all been kind of similar, but a little bit different, just like I was just talking about. But there's always been this idea that there's things from another world, another dimension, something outside of our normal perception that can kind of interact with us from time to time when we want to, when we're kind of on that same wavelength or when it comes into contact with us for its own purposes, but that it's evil, it's malevolent. Well, 
again, we're starting to see these things all over around these disasters. So if that's the case, we have two options. One, they're either coming and they're causing these disaster disasters to happen, um, you know, making these planes crash, making the bridge collapse and this uh, meltdown at this, this nuclear plant happen or whatever. Or, like I said in my Indrid Cold episode, maybe it's that they feed off of this they're outside of time and space so they know what's going to happen next they know that there's going to be this big disaster and they're there to kind of feed off the negative energy and the sorrow and all the pain of the people that go through these experiences which again would make them malevolent obviously not the best creatures in the world and that's a pretty common theme when it comes to things like demonic entities is that they're charged or they feed or they live off of our negative energy because they're on kind of a lower dimensional plane and that's what their plane's built out of and the higher plane we go the more towards righteousness and happiness we are in the lower realms essentially you know a lot of cultures talk about different realms and the nine worlds and all these different things the lower you go the more negative the energy is and they inhabit these lower spaces and they feed off our energy so there is that idea that these things are essentially just demons a lot of people who claim to see them in like point pleasant where they were seeing them a lot more up close than it seems that they're seeing them in chicago recently uh claimed that they they thought they were demons they didn't think they were from this world they thought that they were kind of misty and glitchy looking and they got this terrified feeling from them like people claim with dog man and and things like that where it's like these things aren't just these physical beings there's something otherworldly about them and there's something terrifying about them so we got to take that into account you know people have been talking about demons and stuff forever Again, how are we going to count out every culture throughout history claiming something just because we can't prove it in a lab? Maybe we're just seeing a recurrence of that. We are probably getting pretty close to the end times here. So, <laughs> you know, all the old cultures say at the end times, the world's kind of merged together and the veil gets split and demonic forces come out. So maybe that's what we're seeing happen. And along these ideas of old cultural um, significance comes the Banshee. So the Banshee is more of Celtic folk folklore, but it's these things that supposedly come before somebody in your lineage or somebody close to you is going to die, and you'll hear, hear the wail of the Banshee, um, and you'll know that somebody's close to death or that you're going to die soon. And that's kind of been, you know, I, I listened to a, a documentary a little while ago about the Banshees, and people over in Ireland still 100% claim to see these things and believe in them. And maybe this is kind of of a very similar if not the same thing even though people aren't hearing this whale but um, kind of the the same thing where it's coming beforehand it's just simply a warning sign it's simply there to give us a warning and maybe it is a physical being either from our world or from another dimension that comes to warn people or like that idea of that man who was just talking about maybe it's something that our mind does where we know something bad is going to come and so our mind's trying to warn us and so it projects this in front of us so that we can kind of say holy shit something's going on i need to be careful um, again now we have the physical evidence and like the car getting attacked so how much can can those two play into each other i don't know but that is an idea. And then we also have the idea of the Hindu god Garuda. So the Mothman Prophecies book was first going to be titled The Year of the Garuda. So the Hindu god Garuda is described as the king of the birds. And he's like a kite-like figure. And he looks very similar to these kind of Mothman that people are seeing around. And from what I can find about Garuda in Hinduism and Buddhism, uh, it seems like he was kind of a, a protector, a benevolent god. And he was a demigod, but he was the enemy of all serpents. So maybe these things are coming around and they are benevolent. Maybe they're a good thing. You know, when we get back into ancient Hindu and Vedic texts, 
we see more and more that a lot of the things they talk about there kind of start to come true. You know, they talk about flying crafts and they talk about the world before ours and the ancient civilizations. And I talked about in the Out of Place Artifacts episode, they talked about the giant bridge that was built between Sri Lanka and uh, wherever it was. But we have found that bridge that was made supposedly millions of years ago in the Vedic text. So uh, it seems like when it comes to religious texts and religious artifacts, when you get back into the old Hindu Vedic texts, uh, that things seem to seem to add up a lot in those more so than what I can find in a lot of other religions. So, and not to disparage or discount any other religions or anything like that, but I think when it comes to you know um, things kind of historically coming into play and a scientifically proving things from past ancient texts, Hinduism seems to seems to add up a lot of the time. And then we have the next idea, and this, as you guys know, if you've heard any of my episodes, is where I end up on a lot of things, is that these things live underneath the earth. That they're an ancient remnant or a, a species that has evolved alongside of us, but they live under the earth, and so we don't see them very often because the earth is very cavernous. We know that. We find them all the time. Um, you know, the idea of a hollow earth theory, some people take it so far that it's like an eggshell and there's this giant open space in the middle of the earth that's not really what i buy into when i talk about hollow earth theory i believe that there is deep very cavernous areas that can sustain life underneath the earth and we find them all the time we find like full jungles underneath the underneath caverns in the earth but if we had a secluded area that has been evolving alongside of us for a million years what kind of things would evolve down there well what kind of things like caves? Maybe some bats. What do we know is the height of evolution? Humanoid figures where we have fingers and our legs allow us to walk upright and our spines are straight, right? So if you were to have um, a different species evolving in a different area, how would they evolve? Well, up here, monkeys did it supposedly, right? Monkeys supposedly evolved into humans or apes did, not monkeys, but because they were supposedly best fit to evolve, um, to kind of dominate the earth. And because of that, they gained intelligence by dropping out of trees and then using tools and all these different things. Well, what would be best fit to evolve down in caves? Maybe they're bats, right? Bats are mammals. They're another mammal. So maybe up here, while monkeys were evolving into humans, down there, bats were evolving into whatever you'd call those things. Why couldn't there be humanoid figures down there? Um, and we'd, we'd never see them because they're kind of out of touch unless they come up to us. That kind of leads into the idea of aquatic people as well, right? Maybe there's aquatic mermaids or something and fish evolved into humanoid creatures or anything. And that's a whole different episode I can get into. But just because us on the surface of the earth supposedly evolved into these humanoid figures that are suitable for domination of the planet, different areas would evolve differently. Maybe down in caves, it was bats that evolved, another mammal. Maybe in the ocean, it was like dolphins that evolved, another mammal, right? So it's just uh, it's another idea. Again, an original idea you'll hear only here first. So make sure you're paying attention, people. Pen and pads at all times. Keeping track. And then we come to the last idea. And this one's the most boring bullshit one. I almost don't even want to say it, but I got to say it for all you skeptics out there. Dr. Robert L. Smith from West Virginia University, he's associate professor of wildlife biology, says that what everybody was seeing was a sandhill crane. I've seen sandhill cranes. I don't know how the hell you would get those things confused. But the official story from the scientific point of view is that what people are seeing are sandhill cranes. Now, I've seen... Uh, 
pictures of these things of, of these mothmen and and from all the reports i don't know how you get those two things confused but that is the scientific rationale and that's the best the best that they've come up with so if that's the best they've come up with i'm going to go ahead and say that they haven't been able to debunk this thing because i feel like you could come up with something a little better than that but that is what the biologists say is that people are seeing sandhill cranes which have tiny heads and long necks and don't look anything like a giant moth creature with humanoid legs but I had to throw it in there. And that pretty much brings us to the end of Mothman. So like I said, there is so much to this, so much more hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of sightings from the Point Pleasant experiences all the way through the Chicago ones. There's current Chicago ones going on all the time at Chicago O'Hare Airport and just around Chicago. And I will have links. I think I got like 30 links that I'm gonna put on my website to these. So look through these, look at these. Uh, videos look at these pictures and you're gonna see you know some that you're like okay that's obviously bullshit well yeah of course there's gonna be bullshit out there but some of them you're gonna see that you're like okay I can't really explain that any other way and they're in major news sources like NPR and Vice and things like that so again if one of these one single one of these pictures or videos or accounts from eyewitnesses is true then there's something going on there's some sort of creature out there that we're not admitting is real. There's some sort of entity that's crossing dimensions. There's some sort of demonic force that's out there. There's something or alien or something. I can't tell you exactly what it is. All I can tell you is that I believe that there's something going on. Because like I said earlier, I do my best to not bullshit on this show. And when I find something that I'm like, all right, that's a bunch of crap, then I pull back on it. In fact, I was just going to do a full episode on Operation High Jump and the UFO fight down in uh, Antarctica when Admiral Byrd went down there, which I'll, I might still do because it is a very interesting story of the other things that found that were found down there. But I always heard that he went down and there was this mass UFO fight with Nazi UFOs over Antarctica. And I was so excited to do an episode on that. And then I found... Uh, lady who does a just strictly UFO podcast who did a really good job at going through each piece of it and showing why that's probably not what happened. And it was really disappointing to me. But instead of just bullshitting my way through it and then telling you guys that this is what happened, I obviously didn't. So I always do my best to, to tell the truth, at least of what I've found on this show and put the points together. But if I find things that I don't think add up, I'll always let you know about that. And even in this episode, I said that there's some things that we can't really count 100%, like the Chernobyl one or the 9-11 one, even though people talk about that. There's not really a lot of evidence showing that that actually happened. I'm going to tell you about them, but I'm not going to put a lot of stock into them. But there are a ton of them in here that I went over and that I'll have linked that I think are very, very credible. So please go in and check it out. All right, so I'll have all these linked up on my website, of course, like usual, and I'll have the little Q&A at the bottom on the Spotify app. So please go on there and tell me what you guys think about this. Get a hold of me on my stolenreality.com underneath the contacts page. Tell me what you think. Do you think this is real? Do you think it's bullshit? Have you had a sighting of these things? Do you know anybody who's seen them? Like there's a lot of people right now over in Chicago talking about it. So if you're a listener in Chicago, get a hold of me. I'd love to talk to you about it. Maybe you um, had a, a family member or you were even alive back then 
down in Point Pleasant and you were you experienced this whole thing. Please, I'll have you on the show. We'll chat about it. It'll be super fun. So I would love to know more about this. Maybe I missed some things. Maybe there's some ideas you guys have that I don't have. Reach out to me. I always love to hear from people listening to the show. And then if you have any other things that you want to reach out to me about, whether you like the show, there's things that you think maybe I could do differently, do better, take the sounds off, something like that, whatever. Get a hold of me. Give me some constructive criticism. I always want to make the show the best I can. So I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. Hope you learned some things. Reach out, let me know what you think about this, and you'll be hearing from me on Friday for another bit episode. Have a great rest of your week, everybody.